Another week, another masterpiece from Stephen Knight. We just finished up season three, episode two, and Josh and I are just excited to bring you the action. It's been a long week, and uh, finally the first week that they make us wait in between episodes after one and two dropped back to back. This is By Order of the Peaky Blinders, a podcast breaking down every single episode of our favorite show, of your favorite show, the 1920s family gang drama on Netflix and BBC. I'm your host, Daniel Gilman. And I'm Josh Levy. This is season five, episode three. As Daniel mentioned, the first time where we've really, really had to wait for, you know, an episode to come. We we had the luxury of having two last week. This was a great episode. We have we we're we're just fresh off of watching, literally minutes fresh off of watching. So we have some thoughts. We have some thoughts. This is as instant reaction as it gets. And I know I know some of you probably watched it a few days ago. I did see that there was a leak online, but not us. We are we are true uh... we are true Sunday night. We gotta watch it on Sunday night. It just has to, it's just there's no better way than having an event it doesn't really happen anymore with Netflix and you know Hulu and everyone dropping all at once we get to really sit down with you guys watching overseas or watching somehow in America before this drops on Netflix and we get to wait and every week we get a prestige television event and you know directed by Anthony Byrne again the cinematography was a plus and Josh you know what this was and I haven't talked about you with this yet this was a classic people talking in rooms episode of just great TV. They talk about it with Game of Thrones. It is just so good. He did such a good job, Stephen Knight, having people in fucking rooms just talking. And I didn't need action until it happened at the end, and it was great. I didn't need it this episode for it to be fantastic. People talking in rooms, setting up those plot webs that we discussed. We just just discussed that. And it is so accurate. It's literally people talking in rooms. Very important people talking in very important rooms at very important times. And it's so important, and we could talk about the overlying storyline right now, and it's Oswald Mosley, and we had a feeling he would be a bad guy, and it's just him him having that casual conversation with the Shelbys and just destroying them, and Michael Gray, and just destroying them in like the most politician way possible, ripping them apart. And you know what it is? It's it's these shows, you know, The Sopranos and The Wire and all these shows that show, you know, these gang bosses. And when they talk and meet with each other, no matter what level of, you know, government you're in or gangs you're in, the, the big men make the decisions and they do so pretty, like, classically and, and classily. And it's not, you know, they're not, he's not walking in and Tommy's not going to punch him in the face. He's going to smoke his cigarette and he's going to casually brush the, the ashes off on his floor as disrespectful as possible. And it was brilliantly done. And Sam Clavin plays an excellent, excellent fascism bad guy. I keep on, th- I've, I've mentioned throughout the podcast that I, I don't think all these villains could be topped. But Oswald Mosley is the, the, the cream of the crop. He he's 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 worse than Jimmy McCavern. He's worse than Luca Changretta. He's worse than Sabini. He's worse than Billy Kimber. He is diabolical. He's smart. He's cunning. It's just I'm I'm very worried. I'm very worried with this storyline. He is the perfect match for Tommy. Tommy might have met his match here, and that's why Tommy decides to join him, and then has the smart decision to go inside and use that little you know that soldier, that military man that Ada's with and have it set up to be an informant kind of situation because Tommy and all powerful men, they hedge their bets. 
And that leads us into the title of the episode. The title is just strategy. So far a 9.6 on IMDb. I have to say this is probably my, my favorite episode of the season. Because last episode was wild, but this one was just so well... I was, there was not one boring minute of this episode to me. You know what I mean? It doesn't need it doesn't need action for a drama to be good for me. And and obviously, you know, episode two was wild, but this one, man, I could not be more pumped for the last three episodes of the season. So I hear you that it was a great episode, no doubt about it. But episode two had me on my toes, stressing out, not knowing what was gonna what was gonna happen. So I mean, obviously, everyone to each their own. Everyone has their opinions. This was this was this episode had had the writing. That episode two didn't have, but episode two had the cinematography and the directing that episode three didn't have. I don't have many nits to pick. It was one of those, you know, setup episodes where they had to set up four, four, five, and six are going to be absolute bangers. I think we can agree on that. Absolutely, and we'll and we'll be giving you instant reactions for each and every one right here on all the platforms on Facebook at facebook.com/slash Peaky Podcast on Twitter at By Order of Peaky, and you know everywhere you can find us. You know, make sure that if you hit subscribe. Tell your friends. If you haven't hit subscribe or follow, go ahead and do that because we have we have an awesome fan base and I love you guys and think we do this all for you and it's just awesome to hear you guys chime in and you know get a few feedbacks here and there. And I want to jump into feedbacks for a second, but I want to say first, maybe recency bias. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm fresh off it, so I love it so much. But as you mentioned, I didn't have those nervous ticks this episode. I wasn't sitting on the edge of my sweaty seat. I was relaxed and I really just got to like enjoy it and 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 worry a little bit Josh because I think the number one thing that I'm worried about more than Tommy's enemies is his cough because <laughs> it's the first thing I noticed and and the cigarettes are catching up to our man Killian I said to Daniel I think about a couple of weeks ago when I was like on season 3 and I said I'm predicting the end of the show and he was ready for some giant prediction and I said it ends with Tommy Shelby dying at the age of 60 of lung cancer because oh my god, I've never seen someone smoke so much in a show. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was evident, and it was right after Michael mentioned that he should go see a doctor for his head. But yeah, but it's it's something that's just that's so brilliant by the show that like when you watch very intently, like like we do, because we want to pick up on these things. It's like Stephen Knight's throwing throwing that in there just to you know. Sp- show where they are on the timeline since the beginning i think it's just brilliant and let's talk about the fact that ghost grace is back in just perfect fashion they didn't want i'm glad they didn't overdo the amount of ghost sightings and whatever you want to call it hallucinations but josh it was quite the callback i love that this callback so much because my parents are watching season one right now so i'm like watching along with them like here and there and i just saw the episode when she asks happy or sad and says, but I warn you, Tommy, it will break your heart. And he, but in this in this episode, he didn't he didn't respond like he did in season one when he said already broken. So there was a great callback, same spot in the garrison. I'm loving these Ghost Grace callbacks because they kind of keep Tommy in check a little bit as much as he can possibly be kept in check. Because Daniel, he's losing his fucking mind, man. Yeah, and then leading into the feedback, we could talk about probably the most exciting scene. And that comes at the end when our guy, uh, Abrahama, goes and throws the tar on whatever the leading guy of this, this form of the Billy, Bo- the Billy Boys are. And it was, such a, it was such an awesome scene after Gold gets broken out of the hospital by Polly. And, it, you know, it's Abrahama. I think I'm saying it right. I think I'm good now at this point. He got a haircut for Polly 
and then used Polly, kind of manipulated her to take him home just to head off to Scotland and do the dirty deed. Just all of it was sick with the grenade scene at the end, you know, blowing up the house and setting up war. You know, Tommy doesn't want it, Josh, but Amarama Gold's got what he wanted. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna call him Abe. I texted you Abe Gold. It was like it was like on a whim. It, it was it was on a whim. I like Abe. But Abe Abe Gold, man, that guy is out for revenge. He's I'm just gonna go out and say it right now. He's my winner of this episode. But we'll uh, we'll dive deeper in and further on that at the end. He 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 set out. This, this was this was the Abarama Gold episode for revenge. He got his revenge. That very vivid and and awful way to, to 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 get hurt by pouring hot steaming tar on someone's face reminded me a lot of Viserys Targaryen getting that pot of hot gold in that in the season one of Game of Thrones pour on his head didn't although Amarama didn't die and Viserys did I mean Amarama's guy didn't die but Viserys did but it was a great episode for him he had a lot of great moments Kool Aid Man himself yeah I could he I think he could be on his way to death that was a rough scene at the end. And I'm gonna ask you here in a minute if you, if you are really you know scared of the Billy Boys because I think I'm lo- I'm less scared now than I was last season and we got we got a a, a comment here, ch- kind of chiming in from our our guy Leon out in UK and he's talking about the fact that he thinks that Tommy has actually worked with the Billy Boys before and I asked him what does he mean and he cites a scene back in the early part of the series when he mentioned and I remember this when Tommy tried to keep that assistant he had at the factory and the guy said no I want to go back with my family to Glasgow and Tommy said wait a little bit longer wait a little bit longer do you remember this and the older man was basically at the at the liberty of Tommy whenever he he was you know ready to let him go and then Tommy said he had a gang that he worked with in Glasgow that would keep an eye on the man's family while he stayed here and worked in Birmingham and uh, Leon that could be a snag maybe they've got a little bit of history and there's there's something personal about about Jimmy's you know vendetta with Tommy, and it definitely makes sense when you watch this episode and you, and you watch it kind of with those hindsight goggles, with that comment when you know the hand grenade is blown up and Jimmy Cavern, the leader of the Billy Boys, basically wages war and declares war internally to himself and says Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. It's kind of laughing and. You don't you don't talk in that light unless you have some familiarity with Tommy Shelby. So that's a great 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 comment and great uh great foresight and insight to to point out from, from our guy Leon. No doubt about it. Continue to send your feedback to us, guys. We're gonna read it. Let us know who your winners are, your losers are. Any predictions? We might. I don't know if I have too many predictions. I don't really like to make predictions, to be honest, because this show kind of shocks me. But if we do have a few, maybe we'll save that for the end. Another big thing. I think that was highlighted in this episode by the badass Polly, who I think stole the episode. Um, she's definitely in the running for winner of the episode for me. That opening scene, Josh, with the nuns just getting verbally assaulted, like the way that they assaulted the young kids by Polly, by Tommy, just going in and out like a boxer, going right, left, right, left. I think she she had it her she had herself a damn episode. She basically taught Michael. She's like, listen, kid, like this is you being. This is you being hazed. You know what I mean? Just suck this up. Michael couldn't suck it up. And, and you know, unfortunately, I think we're going to have those guys, my two favorite, probably my two favorite characters in the whole show. I, I, we might be lined up to have them compete against each other in seasons to come. Maybe some predictions there. But 
Polly had a great episode. That opening scene Josh had me on had me on unnoticed that this was an episode to remember. Top five opening scenes of this episode. So I mean that's the reason I was a little disappointed from that from that sense from the rest of the episode that there, what there weren't any of scenes like that where I was on my toes there. I was like, oh my god, we're gonna see so much action in this episode. But still, just phenomenal scene, phenomenal acting by Helen McCrory. Just she's so compelling, convincing in, in, in her tone. And she breaks out that little like like needle-like blade like Arya Stark had and just points it at the nun's face. And god damn, that was those nuns are fooked. <laughs> They're fooked. And then the other side of that with Michael and Polly kind of uh I think Polly telling us something that we knew. And I think we predicted this. I don't think there's Gina Gina ain't got no baby, Josh. You don't think really? You really think that it's just oh, a you, hoax? Oh, you think she has a baby? I mean, I didn't I just didn't think twice about it. I, I didn't think that, that was gonna be like a ploy. Oh, I thought I think we definitely touched on it a little bit in the five point two reaction, the episode five season two talking when when she's when we're talking about maybe she's just using that to marry Michael, be. but no because she, she was really really insistent that Ada does not come with her to the doctor, and then her That's conversation true. with Polly at the end where Polly touches her stomach and she kind of recoils and looks at her and Polly says I wish I felt a heartbeat there or today. And so Polly always knows, man. They made it. They made sure to build up the fact that Polly is special. She knows when there's babies. She knows what gender and color and all that stuff. That's true, a hundred percent. But that that scene with Gina talk, she, Gina mouths back. She doesn't. She's strong. She's strong. She'll say what she wants, and she says talks about the dreams of going to Long Island with Michael. I thought it funny how Polly said, that, "Isn't that isn't that in Australia?" And I was like, "Oh," <laughs> but uh, that was that was wild. And she says she has. Uh, I think it was she said there there was a quote that Polly said to Gina about about being human and about and Gina wanted the the baby to have to have two grandmothers and Polly just mouths back to Gina and they kind of had like give each other a little taste of their own medicine. I really liked I like I like all the scenes where there's two strong women and I really like um the actress's name Anya something Anya uh I've got it here somewhere probably maybe the actress that plays Gina is somewhere around here. It's not happening. Okay. So I really like her and I really like the Statue of Liberty handoff and Polly using it as a weapon. Like this feels a little bit more like a weapon here. I thought that too. I was like... At the end of the day, Michael feels like the like the character avatar type here you know what i mean he feels like he he's the guy that we're like yeah you're the you're the one with common sense you know what i mean he's the one that is being thoughtful to his wife and wants to go to the the baby you know looking in the the ultrasound and and tommy and arthur are like that's what women are for you're with us and then michael's like tommy man like i'm not going for your throne i just have always been so loyal to you and if you don't get that then you know you got to go see a, a head therapist yeah and that was crazy telling him he's going to see a doctor and there were several uh, references to to Michael having shit on his boots. To Tommy Tommy's Tommy's furious with Michael, and you can just tell he just doesn't want him to be in the same breath as him. But I thought that those those uh, comments were uh, pretty funny. But also the 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 line that Gina says to Polly and says, "I have it written down. You're starting to sound a little sorry for yourself. Us Americans, we don't go round and round and round. We go in a straight line. And my baby will be born in New York and walks out the room." And I was powerful. Polly has never been spoken to like that by a woman, really. 
Yeah, it was it was a badass line. Anya Taylor Joy, there we go. Delivered we go. it delivered it well. And I guess that could bring us into our favorite quotes of the episode here. I do I had another great one here from uh, from Gina where she's talking to Ada and she's like they have taxis even in this fucking city and she sounded so like spoiled American. She pulled it off perfectly cuz I I feel like that actress has a British accent. Um and I think my other favorite one here before I ask you a question about one Josh. My favorite one here is when Tom is uh is talking about the Quaker and he's like you marry a Shelby, you stay fucking married. I that was I was going to be that was going to be my quote. I loved that quote. How true is that? How true is that? Don't don't be an idiot. God damn Linda, already just reaffirming my hatred and my my frustration towards her. Such a, How so is she going to trust Lizzie, man? Why are you trusting Lizzie? Obviously, she's going to rat on Tommy. Let's get to that scene, Josh. That was probably the most uh, intense, non-violent scene of the episode where Lizzie first makes up her mind scenes ago with, with Linda that she's chosen this, this life and she is all signed up. And then she tells Tommy, turns out that day or that trip that Tommy was gone is the one that Lizzie called the uh, calls it a solicitor. I don't know what that means. Just an attorney. But calls the attorney and, and she says, no, I, I hung up the phone as, as, your, as your girl at the exchange could tell you. And I decided that, that I'm all in. And she pulls up the pay for it line and then backs it up and buries it home. Lizzie had a very strong episode with her, with her zingers and one-liners and, and comments. That was a very disturbing scene, in my opinion. I thought it was very disturbing. I, it just made me feel uncomfortable. I know it was like kind of it was like a consensual kind of thing. It wasn't like he was like abusing her or anything, but it was just it was just disturbing. And I and one thing I'm that I'm starting to be very upset with, not with the show because it's just part of the plot line, but with the character development of Tommy Shelby, I'm very very frustrated that he's losing his moral code a little bit. Like like I mean back watching season one, season two, season three, he has a moral code. He has a moral code. He has a moral compass, and he just. He's losing sight of that, and I like. I know things have changed, and he's dealing with a lot, and he's dealing with very tough players, and he is trying to save the family. So there's a little smidgen of that still there, but he's just he's 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 more disturbing with his thoughts and the way he acts towards people. But that just comes with the territory, it comes with the power. I, I don't know if 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 you agree, but I, I think I think we've we've really touched on it through the Jesse Eden conversation, and Jesse's back this season, uh, this season finally in this episode, the Jesse Eden conversation with him last season. You know, talking about really diving into who Tommy was before the war, and then that changed him, and that killed him a certain amount, and then the Grace death put him over the top, and, and he's he's all the way gone. I mean, he is having sex with his wife. Saying I own everything. Yes, and it's just unreal. After his wife just made a reference to him, to her taking the payment and then making a deal that he can fuck whoever he wants, but it can't be in the house. And this this was the weird one. It cannot be one day before or after he touches his daughter Ruby. That's a that that's a deal right there. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, Lizzie's that Lizzie's that that wife. Right. right. There. I mean, she laid down the law. Hall pass forever, but uh, he. He says everything is mine and calls her his property. And that's what I found so disturbing. Like It was weird. Yeah, it was a disturbing scene, but it, it, it added to the intensity of the episode. It added to the intensity of the surrounding environment and what's going on. Lizzie kind of gets it. She kind of gets it. She's not going to try to, you know, talk sense into Tommy. There's no talking sense into him. As he said in the last episode, he can't find the words to explain. 
There's no there's there's no turning around for Tommy. He's doing what he's doing. Lizzie's gonna he's gonna heed her own her own advice, stay her course, stay out of it, be Tommy Shelby's property, do what's best for the baby. You know, that's what she really cares about the most. And Linda is not heeding that advice. Going to see this Quaker man and not being very secretive about it, it seems. Okay, so one one more line, one more line from Lizzie, and then we'll move on to, to Arthur and Linda. Lizzie also has a great one with Linda. I guess it'll lead us into it, where Lizzie tries to talk some sense into her, like this is what you signed up for. You know, do you want that kid to have to be an orphan? You know, the one that the Quaker that she's friends with who lost his wife. And Lizzie says there's good. Or no, Linda says there's good and there's evil, and Lizzie interrupts and there's both mixed. And then maybe delivers the like the powerful line, the big one of the episode where she says, you don't get what you deserve, you get what you take. Yeah, that was... And and Tommy's taught her that. Tommy has taught her that very well. And maybe listen, just, Linda should start to fucking listen, man. Oh, man, it's just... It's just I'm, getting, I'm getting bad vibes with this Linda-Arthur storyline. I mean, Arthur kills this Quaker, I think so. I think he... Yeah, I think, they, I think, I think he's dead. And then he doesn't even know who he killed. He never even got a name. Right. So he's not even sure if it's the right person. He leaves the Peaky Blinders hat as like evidence that the Peaky Blinders man was here, which I thought that I thought that was dumb. He's like trying to make a statement. I I, I have a feeling I have a feeling he's gonna take the hat back. I don't know if that was He left it on the ground. Because wasn't he, he wearing he, the hat? Wasn't he wearing the hat in the next scene with I mean with, with I would Abe? imagine that they have an abundance of, of hats. I don't think <laughs> I don't think I don't think the Shelby's are using the same hat to blind to blind their enemies and blind their victims, but uh I don't know. I thought that it was pretty dumb, pretty brash. It was old, old Arthur. It was the Arthur of season one and season two, not this Arthur from season three, season four, and the beginning of season five, where he was very, you know, even keel. So I'm just, I have bad vibes about this storyline. And one other thing that we have to mention, guys, by order of the Peaky Blinders fans, all you diehards, we found Carl. We found Carl. We did. Carl's back, and and before we talk about Carl, Charlie Strong is back too, and we get two, and and Curly's back, and Curly's got a great line I'm going to save for the very end. So all these characters are coming back, and Charlie does say one last thing to Arthur to end his episode pretty much, and he's like, Mm -hmm. you better get her back. Without her, you're as good as dead already. Love that line. That's, That's when Arthur turns into a little Garmin GPS and somehow finds Abe to set up that whole end. But yeah, Charlie's always here talking goodness, while uh, I don't think we got, we didn't get little Charlie, we didn't get Tommy's Charlie or Ruby in this episode, but we get Carl, and Carl's an absolute twat. He's a little shithead, man. He's a racist, smart, little, is he 10 years old, 11 years old shithead? Talking to this man, yeah, saying that, was, oh my goodness, talking what a about racist. Jews and black people, and then, you know, it's, it, the uh, the uh, colonel's name is Unger, if I, if I stand corrected, right? It's Unger? Younger, Ben Younger. Ben Younger, okay. And he's talking some sense. They're playing some chess. And, you know, he talks about how his father is in heaven. He was his, He goes, my dad was white, but he's in heaven. And then yells, checkmate. And I'm like, all right, Carl, cool, bro. Cool, dude. Sick. Yeah, he says, he first says, I don't want you to be my dad. My dad is white and he's in heaven. And, I mean, you think naming someone after Karl Marx is probably not the best idea ever. And then he makes a comment about like, what do you mean you're gonna cook? You're a man. Like what everything he knocked he checked off like sexist, racist, anti-Semitic, every twerpy, spoiled, 
in inconsiderate everything but he's smart and he beat him in chess and he's like i beat people older than you god i'm fine never seeing carl again if we're being honest sick dude carl's the man you you beat older men in chess sick dude i would i agree I, i'm perfectly fine with not seeing carl okay now now we now we can talk about and i want to talk a couple minutes here because josh you're you're an educated man in society and I am less educated because I am fully enthralled into the sports world. So this is a big this is a big moment here. I need your help All right, let's because do it. you know because we're gonna we're obviously we're gonna meet the minister of Duchy of Lancaster and the deputy to the chancellor of the exchequer and the cabinet advisor to the prime minister, also known as the devil. And so when we talk about this conversation, I need some help here because we're gonna talk about the Jesse Eden one too, where Jesse Eden and drunk Tommy go into like all of these isms so i need help with these isms josh fascism and socialism and communism and so like tommy's a socialist and he talks about it talking about bubbles rising to the top and mosley's a fascist and jesse's a communist help me out here it's very confusing for me as well because this isn't it's not as a uh, similar to the political climate of today but just think socialism for, for us americans socialism is what bernie sanders wants for the world Free education, free things for everybody, free-flowing society, things that are cheap. Fascism kind of wants, you know, they, they want to up... They, the fascists want to, like, uproot the government that's in place right now. They're against all things that are... It's 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 more of a, it's more of a communist outlook, you know? They're going against what the government has, you know? You know, poor people, poor people better, poor people better kind of, kind of outlook as opposed to this you know, governmental run society, the way things are running now. So it's kind of like the the, the divide of free flowing society versus, you know, the government run society that it is in that climate in the 1930s, you know, 1940s. And I know communism. I definitely know communism where it's like everyone gets an equal amount. Right. And then, but socialism is kind of like, you know, it favors, you know, people who can't afford things and it's free flowing and, you know, no more restrictions on people. You know, all all, all this kind of thing. It's just, it's it, it's a it's a non realistic way of life, to be honest. It's not how society can function. It's not how an ordered society runs. And it's it's just like a fantasy world, in my opinion. It might be a controversial thing to say, but it's a fantasy world. And that's that's Tommy that's Tommy Shelby's world. And so so I guess essentially what we're learning is this is a new political party. So let's say there's the uh, the Peaky Party that comes out. And this is how I this is how I saw it. So you can correct me if you think I'm wrong. So let's say there's a peaky party, and the peaky party has a president in mind, but they're looking for a vice president. And so they find someone nearby because they said that Birmingham is next to where Oswald Mosley is based out of. They find someone nearby who has a lot of power, who's rising in the political ranks, and they go after his knees. And so nowadays, I don't think it's done like that. But what they did is Oswald Mosley basically hired the Billy Boys, partnered with the Billy Boys to kill the journalist, to go after Tommy, to cripple him and to blackmail him. And now Tommy has no other option but to become his deputy, which is basically vice president, and join the fascist party. And he has the, he has Boom. this with the intention of undermining Mosley. Tommy doesn't, you know, align with his ideals and align with fascist ideals. I think he just wants to fuck this man up. And I'm so ready for it. I'm so ready. It was uh it was crazy when he it reveals that he has spies in the United States, so he knows what clubs that Michael went to. And it is funny because you know a lot of our listeners are from the UK, so they kind of think of that as like a uh, a gamble to move to America, invest in the stock market. But us Americans, that just it doesn't seem like 
a risk. Like we are all in the stock market. It's just like, it's so stable to me, but I guess I can see the perspective of like, oh, Michael moved over to America and took a bunch of risks and lost all the money because to Americans, the stock market crash was nobody's fault. So it's like, it doesn't feel like, oh, you you put, you had your money in the stock market, boo-hoo on you. So they found that out on Michael and then the spies about Linda seeing the Quaker and then calling them wog and saying that they speak wog lingo. And then that leads to what, your favorite line of the episode? My favorite part of the episode is when Tommy talks to Arthur and Romany because Arthur's like grasping the chair, about to break the chair because he's getting under his skin, which is exactly what he's trying to do. And he's getting under, under Arthur's skin by talking about how he, Linda was seen with another man. And Tommy's telling Arthur to calm down. And Romany says, his time will come. And I was so happy because I was just... Because Tommy's been standing down to this guy because he has to, you know, as, as part of the, uh, of the ultimate plan. So when he finally says it to Arthur that his time will come, you just know every single time he speaks to this guy what his intentions are. He, he, want, he wants to F him up. And you don't, you, don't, you don't call the Shelby lingo walk lingo. You don't disrespect the gypsy side of the family like that. You don't. You really don't. So before we get to winners and losers, Josh, I've got one big question for you. And I don't understand it. I'm going to need some help. Maybe you guys at home, maybe you guys a little bit more uh, profound in the Brummy talk because Curly stole the show. I I'm not going to give him my winner because that's Polly. But Curly Curly had a great, great episode. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Curly. But they're, they're wishing up Polly a happy 45th birthday. And Finn hands her some roses. And then Curly comes over and like tries to be you know sentimental with her and says quote they grow grand in the horse shit paul and that was it and then he walks away what what was that they grow grand in the horse shit or horse shape horse shit i think what is okay that, what is that folks help me out people I, I, I think what that means is like okay you know birmingham isn't the greatest place polly he's known polly all his time and she's grown to be even more grand out of the horse shit so kind of like the cream. I, I buy it. I'm yeah. all in on that. That's a great for for someone who's a little slow. That's a great line. That's some insight. That's clever. I thought you were talking about yourself. I'm like, that's a great catch, Josh. Oh, I mean, I mean, thank you. I'll I'll, uh, I'll pat myself on the back there, but uh, but uh, for someone that's a little slow. Hey, thanks, man. I'm humble. I'm humble. Okay, I got to keep myself grounded out here. Okay. But Curly, Curly, that was a great line. Curly dropped some zingas like at left and right. All right, winners and losers, Josh. As I said, I think uh, Abe Gold, the Kool Aid Man himself, had a ten out of ten episode. So many zingers, so much revenge on his mind. Polly get, gets a visit from the love of his life in the in the in the hospital. He's looking a one with a haircut. He gets revenge on the fucking Billy Boys and. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be bad for Tommy because you know now war is waged on behalf of Abarama, but winner winner of this episode, Abarama Gold, he got to avenge Bonnie, R.I.P. Bonnie, Abarama Gold is my winner. And I don't know if you noticed this, he was wearing a lot of gold in the hospital bed. He was. He had like a big gold bracelet. He had something else gold, and I don't know if that's just like a tribute to his name or just could some be. gypsy could stuff. But yeah. but I like yeah. that. My 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 winner is is his love, and that's Polly. I think she had a, a badass episode. I think her lines in the first scene were some of the best lines that she's delivered in since the old days of Polly, since season one. Polly, where she's kind of like she's like, oh, what did she say? She said, 
like I have a temper too that you showed on these girls, but I save it for someone my size right. and stuff that like that. Girl, yeah. And she just went at her like, bitch, you don't think we're going to cut your throat just because that you're, you know, someone of the cloth. I'm not scared of you. And Tommy's like, our sins, that yeah. was a great scene. You, you see the world broken just like these beaten children will. That first scene was just, there was line after line after line. And I mean, this is something that we forgot to mention. And, and I'm sorry to stray away from, from your Paul winner, but the Peaky Blinders, like, you know, we mentioned Peaky Blinders. What does Peaky Blinders mean? And breaking those glasses in the first scene, like, it just adds the emphasis to the theme of the show. The Peaky Blinders. So it was just something that we didn't mention. But Paul had a great episode. She definitely uh, close neck and neck with Abarama. I have I have a, 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 a winner A or a winner B because I forgot and I have we have to mention it. And I, I don't know if it's a winner or a loser, but the balls on our woman, Sandra. Tommy's new, like, morning cook maid, whatever, who's just... She makes great breakfast. She makes great she breakfast. She's fucking in his office with Johnny, Johnny dogs. <laughs> and then Tommy keeps her because he likes her breakfast and says the only way to get fired here is burnt toast, which is a line that my grandpa would be so proud of. And, and if you talk to the police. Yep. Keeping those maids in check because we still don't know. We still don't know who gave up Abarama and Bonnie's spot. We yeah, still we didn't know. get a black cat reference and, this episode. But it could have been a, it could have been a thought that one of the maids was was as I said the mule, but the Be- mole. Better not be Francis. Better not be the OG. Bless her heart. Bless her heart. My loser today is Ben Younger. He got destroyed in chess mm. and then mm. absolutely manhandled, verbally disrespectedly told that he doesn't want to be his father, and then gets asked by the Peaky Blinders to do something and essentially say, I didn't want to join the family. I'm like, what? What are you? What? Stop digging yourself in this hole, Ben. Uh, poor guy. He was, Soldier had a rough episode, but he did hook Tommy up with the, seemingly hook him up with the uh, the informant job. Right, and now it's, uh, it's a job on behalf of the crown. It's not really, I mean, Tommy told him, I can, I can go ahead and, and fook this guy up myself if you really want me to, and the blood will be on your hands and it's going to be under the rug. Or we can make this official business. You don't really have a choice, Ben. So he gets the metaphorical gun pointed to his head. Loser for sure. And my loser of this episode, and I'm so happy to say this, is Jimmy M. Effer McCavern. I hate him. He lost this episode. He finally got held in check. He's not that you know unstoppable figure. You know, that can just walk through anything. The hand grenade blowing up with his men after one of after a few of his men got beaten by Abarama. He's my loser of this episode, and I've never been so happy for someone to be a loser in my life. He got fooked. And then as we uh, as we wrap this up and sign us out, I want to say that I did a little bit of half-assed uh, internet research, as Bill Simmons might call it, and I found out that the name Ada, another big winner here, Ada has made a return to the top 100 of girls' names in the United Kingdom for the first time since 1924. And there's a new there's a new entry wow. in the boys' top 10, and it's Arthur. So Peaky Blinders making an impact oh. in mothers and fathers around the nation. Okay, okay. Just like how uh, like there was a bunch of babies born named Daenerys before they saw that she was just batshit crazy and mothers across the world were just disappointed in their decisions. Hopefully Ada and Arthur stay on the right track here. Hopefully they stay on the right course. Ada was savage again in this episode. We can't go a whole episode without mentioning our girl, Ada Fukin Thorne. 
and she basically threatened that Gina would get raped by their cab drivers so that she could go to the doctor's office. She doesn't hold back. She's wild. Gina should start listening to her, you know, but I love when Ada wilds out like that. I really do. All right, folks, you know how to send your feedback. We're on Twitter and Facebook. Email at bootpeakyblinders.com. We've had some, uh, some messages so far. Continue to send them in, and we'll continue to talk about everything that we have for you guys on Peaky Blinders. Josh, do you want to say something? The only prediction that I have... It's, I mean, it's pretty obvious. I mean, Tommy's going to undermine Mosley, and with Mosley, he's going to undermine the Billy Boys. But I'm a little nervous about Ben. I'm a little, little, I'm a little bit nervous. He's too, he's too cute. He's too nice. He's too nice. So I just want to see, I just want everyone to look out for a little wrinkle thrown into Tommy's plan when Ben Younger kind of goes south a little bit and isn't just going to comply with everything he says. And it's going to, it's going to be a problem. That's, that's my prediction aside from, Linda, you know, going astray on her own and really messing things up. And I think Arthur is going to kill or did kill the Quaker and it's going to be really bad. Yeah, I think Linda's either just going to rejoin the family and just go all Lizzie or she's gone and she's going to die. We're going to have we're going to say goodbye to Linda and it's it's not going to be a death that I'm going to be too too yeah. depressed about. Um and then another fun thing would be if uh <laughs> I'm a little nervous to find out who Gina's family is. Like the surprise really reveal of this season is that she's a Trangretta. <laughs> or she's just like, yeah, she's like, <laughs> she's a Capone. Yeah. She really could be a Capone. Cause she looks like she's been around it once, once or twice been on a block. That That's a good thing. I didn't even think about that. She really could just be part of some giant American mob family who just lives on long Island. Obviously they have some money. But uh, they just wants to live on the beach of Long Island. But a lot of new characters here that I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, take off and develop and their plot webs really take off and kind of mesh together with, with Tommy's plans and see if they uh, mess it up or if Tommy Shelby once again is the man on top. And once again, I have no doubts that Stephen Knight is going to wrap this all up in the perfect bow because he's got about 15 feelers out there between, you know, Abe and Arthur who are now working together. And I do want to say that their grenade placement was less than ideal. They probably could have had it like tied up so that people could have been killed in that bombing. But now I would be, I'm kind of down for them to go on a little, like a little, uh, Boy, uh, boy, adventure. The two of them go off and uh, and buddy cop duo it up. That would be pretty fun. But yeah, he's got a lot of different, you know, subwebs aside from the Mosley versus Tommy Shelby out there shooting feral pheasant, right? I, yeah, that was that was a uh, an interesting scene that Mosley put a firearm into Tommy Shelby's hand. A little bit of trust there that I was not expecting. And are we gonna meet Mussolini? I want to hear your predictions. Do you think that the uh, the terrible you know, Mr. Mussolini will get an, an induction into this season and will Winston Churchill make a return? I'm really curious to uh, to get to next Sunday already, man. And, and so we're just excited as you guys are. We're going to wrap this up and get back to you for an instant reaction of Season 5, Episode 4 next week. Same place, same time. He's Josh. I'm Daniel. It's By Order of the Peaky Blinders, a podcast chatting all about your favorite show. And we binge so you don't have to. the stack on a gathering storm comes a tall handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand